Hey, this is Adam Cruz, owner-broker of the Herman London Real Estate Group and host of the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. And this is Shannon St. Pierre, a realtor at Herman London and co-host of the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. Before we begin, we just want to say that we are realtors, which is different from someone who is simply an agent. The term realtor identifies a real estate professional who is a member of the National Association of Realtors and subscribes to its strict code of ethics. And even though it's called the St. Louis Realtor Podcast, this show is for everyone who's interested in real estate. Buyers, sellers, realtors, HGTV watchers, everyone. So if this specific episode isn't exactly what you're looking for, go through our past episodes and I guarantee you'll find a topic that interests you. And if there's a topic you want us to cover, email us at podcast at hermanlondon.com. That's Herman, H-E-R-M-A-N-N, london.com. And we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy. From the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with Adam Cruz and Shannon St. Pierre. Welcome, welcome everybody to the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cruz, broker owner of the Herman London Real Estate Group. Here with my co-host, somewhere on the screen is Shannon St. Pierre, realtor extraordinaire. We also have kind of today a third co-host, Connor Clanky. Everybody knows Connor. He's another Herman London realtor, but Connor is super interesting and are interested and interesting in all of this kind of like what I call sort of underground real estate type of stuff. And of course, we have our special guest, Jeff Kaufman, here because today we're going to talk about subject to deals. And my wife said, what's that? And I said, well, you can watch the episode, honey. <laughs> Um, well, you guys might recognize Jeff because we've had Jeff on episode 62 of the podcast talking about serial squatters. And while we met you that day about that, we found out you're kind of a subject to expert. And so we said we wanted to have you back. So, um, Jeff, thank you very much for being here. First of all, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. You're very interesting. So before we get into talking about subject two, um, we were wondering if you would just give us an update actually on the whole serial squatter situation. Sure. It's kind of funny. I don't like being called an expert in anything when I've, when I had uh, something like that uh, happen to me because it's really, uh, it's really a humbling experience. Um, Where they're at right now, uh, we kind of followed them around a little bit. Um, about three weeks after, uh, we finally had them evicted. We found out that they were trying to buy a house, uh, over here in St. Peter's $350,000, uh, pulling the same type of stuff. Um, but I think because of this podcast, because of the news story that went out, I think a lot of people caught on to it. And what ended up happening is they, they bolted to Atlanta. Uh, I don't know if, I can only uh, surmise that the reason they moved to Atlanta was because they had expended their, uh, their resources here. <clears throat> and I found out that they were living in a uh, kind of a luxury apartment down there in Atlanta. So um, I was contacted, gosh, it's been, uh, it's been a couple of months now. I can, couldn't tell you an exact date by the state attorney general's office 
Um, and Missouri both of state? Them, Missouri, the state of Missouri. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, they have been charged with between the two of them, 16 felony counts of um, one is theft by deception. And I forgot what the other one is called. Something that I'd never heard of before. Uh, their court dates are in November. So um, we're moving forward with that. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to do with that. It's kind of, um, um, you know, the state's thing. And uh, I, I do I do praise the state for, for actually following through with that. I, I thought it was a dead, you know, something dead in the water that I would never hear about again. So. Wow. Well, yeah. Missouri, somebody actually like, go down to Atlanta and try to get them if they don't show up to court or do you know how that works? Well, he was actually, he was actually, he had a warrant put out for his arrest. So from what I understand, I don't, it's hard to tell. It's hard to, uh, to keep track of it. I, I am signed up for the uh, automated notifications on CaseNet. Um, from what I understand though, is that um, I think he was extradited back here and I think he, he's got, he's got under house arrest, here in St. Louis. Um, she did not have a warrant, um, play, you know, put out for her. Um, so I actually don't know, even know where they're at. I don't know where, you know, I'm not even sure if, you know, he's in St. Louis or both of them are in St. Louis or not. And house arrest. So he might be under house arrest in somebody else's house that he was pulling the same trick on. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, you know, I, I would never put anything past any of them. I, I really wouldn't. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm, I'm still kind of blown away by the things that I found out. Actually, one of the lenders that, uh, that I referred them to, I met him at the gym this morning for some reason, you know, I don't know, maybe it was this whole pod, maybe it's this whole uh, thing we're putting out here. Uh, but I saw him at the gym this morning. I found out something new this morning about him. So, you know, it's Maybe you're just trying to brag that you went to the gym this morning. Like... Say again. <laughs> I was saying maybe you're just trying to brag that you went to the gym this morning. Could so. be. Well, <laughs> they, they call it COVID nineteen for a reason, and boy, whew, I got to so get she, rid of this. The lady does not have a warrant because she was never technically on the lease, right? I don't know why. I think it was. Um, I would be totally speculating here, but I think it was more along the lines of um, he was, I don't know, maybe he was kind of the mastermind behind the deal. And uh, I, I honestly don't. charges just in his name or? No, both? each of them have eight counts. So they, okay. they, so that's they all that they could counts. do. That is interesting that he's the only one under house arrest then. Yeah. Well, that's all that they could do. Um, so they, they could only go back to the last four victims the uh, statute of limitations has expired on the ones previous. So, um, you know, like I said, I'm still, I'm glad that, that it's happening. Um, but I, I do, I do tell people like, it's a, it's a weird situation to be in when you know that the actions that you took are, um, you know, putting somebody away potentially. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. You would think I would just be kind of, yeah, all for it and gung ho about it. It's just, it is a weird feeling though. You know? Sure. But well, uh, that's where yeah. we're at. Well, thanks for the update. And I mean, you know, the silver lining or whatever, if there is one, I guess is the timing of this all because it happened. You were able to actually evict them, which now we're not able to evict anybody right now, mm-hmm. as yep. you probably are aware of. Yep. And, you know, he's house arrested now, which is like, 
we kind of all are in some ways with quarantine and stuff, you know, so <laughs> right. it's, it's, his punishment so far doesn't exactly fit the crime, it sounds like, but anyway, thank you for the update. It's rare that we get to get updates from people on podcasts. You're one of our only, if not the only, second guester on a podcast, so all right. you know, we're glad to have you back. Um, but I just wanted just to kind of give a quick intro. Essentially, today we, w- we really want to talk about subject twos. And, you know, uh, Jeff, a lot of times when we're doing these podcasts, Shannon and I are kind of either the experts and we're just talking about it for the, you know, the benefit of any listener, or we have a guest on, but we still kind of know about it. And so we're asking kind of informed questions again for the benefit of the listener. But selfishly today, um, Connor, Shannon, nor I are really subject to experts at all. I know enough about it to someone says, what's subject to? I can say, well, you take over a property subject to the existing mortgage. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's about all I know, really. And so, well, we were hoping that you would just kind of start from the beginning, like you're teaching an intro to subject to class. Oh, boy. Uh, haven't done one of those since like February. But um, the easiest way to explain this to folks is um, is that when you buy a, a property subject to you are you are going out and first i want to i want to i want to say that this is a normal sale a lot of people think that this is some kind of um well scammy they think it's scammy they think you're stealing grandma's house or something like that and and that's really not the case but what you're doing is you are going out you are making an offer on a home and instead of when that, when that property goes to title and escrow is open and all that good stuff, instead of paying that lien off, that first mortgage lien or even the second mortgage or whatever they have, and it, and it could be other liens as well, but instead of paying those off at closing, you are, taking, you are agreeing to take on that property subject to those existing liens, meaning those liens are going to stay in place and you are now responsible for or making those payments on those liens and or settling those liens. So is it somewhat similar to assuming a mortgage, uh, assuming a, a loan, a mortgage, you know? That's a great question because no, it's not. Um, a lot of people think that and a lot of sellers will, um, that's, the, that's the number one question that sellers, uh, the sellers will have for you is, so, you know, you, you pitch this thing to them and they'll say, so you're going to assume my loan. And what I like to tell sellers is that, no, you know, first of all, you got to be, you got to be flat out honest about all of this stuff. I mean, you've got to be very forthcoming and cause it's a, it's a risk for a seller, no doubt. Um, but what I tell them is that I am not actually going to assume your loan, meaning I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to qualify for your loan. Uh, but I, what I'm willing to do is I'm willing to assume the debt on that loan. I will start making payments for you. But you keep it in their name. So the difference between assuming and subject to is you, the loan stays in the seller's name and you just start making the payments. You got it. Yeah. And then when do you pay off the liens? Because you're also agreeing to pay off or assume the liens as well. Oh, he's agreeing to pay them. Let let him keep going. He's He's agreeing to pay their monthly mortgage payment for them until the mortgage is paid off essentially. You're, you're both right. Um, it, it all depends on the deal that you strike. So Shannon, 
uh, in your situation, you know, or, or the, the kind of what you're, what you're talking about is, do you, do you have an agreement whereby you say, okay, I'm going to pay your mortgage for a set amount of time. And the answer to that is you can do that. Totally. Um, I have a preference and this year is a perfect example because prior to March, nobody knew anything about what was going to happen here with this whole COVID thing. Nobody had an inkling and nobody had a clue. And so now I kind of, kind of speaking to Adam, what I do is I will tell these folks, you know, I would, my, my goal is to get this, get this lien paid off as quickly as I can but I just can't make any promises. I can't give a specific timeline and I certainly am not going to put it in writing because as we can see by uh, what's happened this year, there's no way that you can predict what's going to happen in, you know, a year from now. So, so yes, you can negotiate that. And yes, you can, um, uh, you can agree, you know, to pay that off in a certain amount of time, or you can do what I do and say, here's my goal. This is what I'm going to try and do, but I can't make any promises to you. You're putting in writing that you're going to pay it. You're just not putting in writing that you're going to pay it off by a certain time. Is that right? Correct. Correct. You got it. Who yep. stays on title? Does the seller or do you go on title? I will go on title. Uh, there are a couple of ways that you can take title to a property like this. Um, you, can take, you can take it personally if you choose. I would not recommend that at all unless it's going to be your personal residence. Um, you can purchase the property in an LLC that you create. And I always recommend one LLC per property. Uh, if we go that route, uh, my preferred method is to take that property in a trust and put that, put that, it would be called a land trust. Missouri actually doesn't have a statute for land trust. So it's a revocable grant or trust. Uh, and that's how I choose to buy these. And, and uh, to ask a silly question, you're buying them all in the same trust or are you starting new trusts? That's a great question. Uh, it's a new trust for every property. Okay. Just like right. you said, you would do a different LLC for every property. Right. The only, the only thing is uh, there is a structure that I like to set up inside a trust that totally simplifies this whole, this whole method. And what I do is I will create a trust. I will, I will have, I will be the grantor of a trust or the creator of a trust. I will have, I will name a trustee inside that trust and that property will be deeded into that trust. The trustee actually takes title to that property. If I'm getting too, if I'm getting too into the weeds, just let me know because it, uh, it can be. A Are you the trustee or is the seller the trustee? The seller can be the initial trustee, but eventually the seller is going to re uh, resign their position as the trustee. So we, yeah, we can get, it can get pretty, um, it's, it seems complicated, but it's really not. There's, there's really two main positions in these trusts that I create. Sometimes there's three, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna confuse the subject. You have a, you have a trustee and then you have a beneficiary or beneficiaries. You can have more than one. And so using an attorney for that. And that's, that's, I would love to uh, preempt all of this, but <laughs> let's go yeah. back to the beginning. Uh, you know, I would definitely, if you're not familiar with this at all, uh, I would definitely, definitely get an attorney involved. 
Um, right. And like we'd always like to in inject, we'd uh, advise highly to seek counsel, legal yes. advice from an yeah. attorney. Jeff, yeah, um, does putting it in a trust make it less likely that the, the mortgagor or the bank will call the loan? Or is there other benefits? Is that the benefit or are there other ones? Is that even true? Uh, there's, well, that, there is some truth to that. Um, the real truth to uh, the, the, they call that's the due on sale clause. And that is the thing that everyone is freaked out about. And uh, everybody just, uh, there's so many different stories about this. I, I personally have never met a single human being that has ever had the note called due. That's not to say that it doesn't happen. Um, but the bank does have the right, no matter what the situation is, the bank does have the right, if that title changes hands, the bank does have the right to call that note due. Now there is, there is some, there are some laws in place that prevent banks from calling notes due for things like uh, estate planning or interfamily transfers and things like that, that has to do with uh, planning the estate of the, of the owner. Uh, but otherwise, if that, if that title changes hands at all, 100% the, the lender has the ability to call that note due. That being said, um, lenders aren't generally in the business of purchasing properties. You know, they don't, they don't want to own houses. So the number one way to avoid the due on sale clause is to simply make payments. That is it. They're, they're there to make money. They have investors as well. And um, if you make the payments, uh, I, I've never, I've, I don't know anybody. It's never happened to me. I've never even been contacted about that. So. Um, okay. So let's kind of go back to now you have, so you found the property, you've worked out a deal with the seller and you, to take over the mortgage and the liens. When does the seller, how long do you typically on average just, um, keep going. I mean, what kind of time frames are you putting in your agreements? Cause I mean, we're going, that seems quite endless. When does the seller leave the home and when does the sale complete? Well, the, the, the sale is complete just like any other, I mean, it's, it literally is just like any other closing. So you have, you know, you open escrow, if there's money that's going to be changing hands, um, the seller leaves when you buy the house, just like any, like I say, it's a normal sale no different than any other sale. Um, and what was your, your question prior to that? What you, you were asking, oh, what am I putting into my, uh, my, my agreements? It depends on the situation. If it's a, if it's a property that is going to need a bunch of work um, and my exit strategy is to get in there and fix it up and flip it, um, then I'll, what I like to say, again, I, I generally don't put it in writing because right, right now we have a, a shortage of lumber. You know, it's hard for people to go to Home Depot and buy lumber because of all the, the shipping issues we're having right now. Um, but what I like to say is, is double. Right, right. That, that's a, another great point. Uh, but what I like to tell them is I would like to have this done inside of 90 days. Um, I, can't make that, I can't make that promise to you, but that's my goal is to get in here and I'm going to put my money into this thing. We're going to get it fixed up and we're going to flip it. And we'd like to have that done inside 90 days may take longer. It may take less. And so um, the seller saying inside, but this, you can't start your rehab until the seller leaves. Correct. Until it closes. I, I wouldn't put any money into it until it closes. So okay. yeah. 
And are you wholesaling these, flipping these, keeping them as rentals? Like what's your exit strategy on them? Man, you guys have great questions. This is awesome. Uh, my exit strategy, I highly, highly, highly recommend that wholesalers, I mean, you'll see a bunch of gurus out there that are pushing this right now, but wholesaling a property that you pick up subject to is extremely dangerous. It is, I don't think that what's, what's not happening with these gurus that are, that are teaching this is they're not telling their students what the potential legal ramifications are of this. And, you know, you can go through the whole process and you can close on a deal. Um, but if you wholesale that off to a buyer, uh, from my point of view, you have, you're the one that's made the promise to the seller that you're going to make those payments. And so now if you're pushing that responsibility off onto another buyer who really has, you know, I won't say that they don't have skin in the game, but let's just say that generally, let's say that that, that buyer that you've sold that deal to, let's say that they run into some trouble. What is the first thing that that buyer is probably not going to pay for when, when the money runs out, you know, it's probably going to be something that's not in their name. So I don't ever recommend flipping a house uh, subject to a creative deal to another buyer. Um, I, I can't lie. I have done it. Um, and it has gone south and that's why I don't do it to the, you know, today. So because they could foreclose on that seller originally, right? The person who's, who has the mortgage. Well, they foreclose on, on the title holder. That's who they foreclose on. But uh, you know, so they're just going to go back in and they're going to take title. The, the bank will, uh, but yes, it will negatively affect uh, that seller for sure. So you said that the risk is all for the seller. Is that because the <clears throat> the mortgage stays in their name as well as their liens? The liens, the liens do not. Um, if it's a, so if you've got a, <clears throat> first of all, like a, a mechanics lien or anything like that, that's all, that's all, uh, those are judgments against the house that's the house itself. So it's going to, it's going to stay with the house. Things like MSD, which are super liens, they're all going to attach to the property. So you are now responsible for it. Once you close on it and you take title. Um, what if about like person, tax liens? Cause I've seen people have, you know, tax liens against the house because they owe the federal government. Yep. They'll stay with the house. So if those you take always that on, stay with the house. Okay. Yes. Is there any kind of lien that doesn't stay with the house? Uh, anything that, uh, is not a judgment lien. So a judgment lien would be, um, you know, the seller's got some kind of debt that they haven't paid. Uh, and then that debtor takes them to court and gets a judgment lien placed against the house. Mm -hmm. um, personal liens do not, they will not follow the house or personal judgments rather will not follow the house uh, unless a judgment lien is placed on that debt on the property. And then otherwise, okay. all other liens, mechanics liens, um, super liens like MSD, utilities, you know, uh, government um, government liens, all that stuff stays with the house. Which so by the, the way- For the seller, where's the risks for the seller? Because they get out from underneath this house, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming by the fact that they're doing a subject to, it's kind of like an as a sale, they get to just kind of walk away. They're not really making any money necessarily, but they get out from underneath being in over their heads. Is that kind of where the subject to comes in? 
Yeah, that's really the point behind all of this. The, the idea is, um, you know, we all, everybody, everybody's heard short sales. The idea behind subject two for me is that I can go in and I can pick up a property and I really, really push the fact that I don't, you don't have to damage your credit to, to sell your house. I can come in and I can make those payments. In fact, I can help you uh, with your, with your credit situation. So my point of view is I would rather not, I would rather not send them down the path of a short sale. You know, if, if it's something that I can uh, you know, that I could potentially cash flow or, or make some money on. Yeah. So I was going to kind of ask that Jeff, you, you know, you get a call from someone, they want to sell their house. You know, do you go there planning on doing a subject to, or is that just a tool in your tool belt? Like if they maybe owe too much on their mortgage to sell to you for a reasonable price for cash or whatever, or are you always, Hey, I'm going to do a subject to here. Well, <clears throat> these days, my motto is think creative first that, I mean, I, I always go in with the, I, I always go in with multiple offers. So, um, but I do always have subject to in my, in my tool belt, because I'll tell you, there's a lot of people. And especially right now, I don't know if you guys uh, pay attention to, uh, you know, how many loans have been written in the past decade since 2008 and the interest rate at which those loans are sitting. They are extremely, it's like free money, you know? So um, I always think creatively first uh, that being said, coming in with, with multiple offers is, uh, is, you know, it's going to be your, your, uh, it's going to be your best bet in order to, you know, if you want to get a deal done with them, but definitely always thinking creatively. I always say the more problems you can solve, the more money you get paid. So like on that appointment, like figuring out a way to give a solution to that seller that, that works for both of you. Yeah. hundred percent. So Jeff, if someone, if you think a house is worth a hundred, like give me an example here. The house is worth a hundred. They owe 90 and that's when you do a subject to, or like, I mean, kind yeah. of give me the example numbers. That's to that, what if they, what if they owed 110? So kind of like, are you going to walk away at the 110 or are you? I think, yeah. Maybe he's saying matter? that's more when you would do it. Cause that'd be more like a short sale situation, right? It's worth a hundred. They owe 110. Well, first, uh, let's establish that you don't, those numbers, yes, they're, you're, more than li- you're more likely to do a subject to deal when those numbers look like that, but it's not a requirement. Some people just, uh, you know, they're just open, open to, the, to the situation. You know, they're open to um, letting somebody come in. You know, I've had that before where, um, I mean, I had very first subject to deal I ever did, I walked away with a $41,000 check. So, I mean, there was that much equity and it could have easily, easily been listed. No problem. Um, but I was able to, you know, come up with a solution for the guy that he liked. And, um, but so numbers wise, I generally come in, I, I like to stay within the 90% LTV um, range. Anything above LTV 90 is loan to value. Loan to value. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so so there would only be 10% equity in that, in that deal at that time. That's where I like to, that's kind of like the sweet spot. That's where I know, okay, I'm probably not going to be able to make a cash offer to this person. Um, let's start talking about creative financing. That being said though, 
I have bought houses where Shannon, you talked about what if it's at 110, the value is 100 and it's at 110. There is a percentage that I will go into negative, uh, negative equity territory and still buy that house. But it, the only thing with that is it must, it must cash flow. It has like, there's no doubt it, you can't be into this house for, um, obviously you're not going to be able to sell that on the retail market. Right. So, uh, it has to be a long-term deal. You would have to negotiate a long-term deal and it has to cash flow. And for me, I need, I need $300 a month minimum on anything that I buy and hold. So when you say you have to negotiate a long-term deal, what do you mean long-term deal? Because your, your, your contract is, you know, up to 90 days preferred. So, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, you close the sellers out. What do you mean? What are you referring to when you're talking about a long-term deal? Are you saying you're holding it long-term? Yeah. He's not making that 90 day promise. Right. Right. Yeah. For, and then in a situation like that, I would, I would just tell the seller, you know, there are brutal truths that, that sellers have to know that, you know, and we call that the, I call that the great retail divide where, you know, if I come in here and you can't sell this thing on, you can't sell this thing retail, whether that's because of repairs or because you're, you have negative equity in it uh, and you can't come to the table with some funds, you know, I'm, I'm going to need to hold on to this thing for a while, get somebody in here and let somebody pay this mortgage down for me so that I can then, go ahead and, and sell it, you know, uh, retail or other, or other ways. <laughs> so you're not closing in 90 days. You're, you're, the seller is agreeing to close in, let's say six months or a year. Well, he's closing. He would say he's closing. He's just saying, I'm going to pay this bad boy for you for a long time. Yeah. I'm yep. just not going to pay off your liens within 90 days. Right. So closing in a normal amount of time. Are you giving the sellers any money for this? Like what's the benefit for them doing a subject to deal? Again, that's, that's negotiable. Um, I have paid up to $8,000. Some people that sounds like a lot and some people that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's like my standard now is, or that's my, that's what I'm not really willing to go past at this stage. You know, um, you got to understand too, I'm, I'm speaking mostly with, uh, um, super, super motivated people. So, um, you know, would I be willing to go above that now? I I would. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, almost all the time, at least I'm paying for moving expenses or, um, you know, for a first month's rent or their first payment on their, on their next deal on their next property, rather next home. Are there any loans like you stay away from like FHA, like arms, five-year arms, conventional, like, is there anything that you're like not going to do a subject to deal on long-term? Yeah. Um, you can really take anything subject to the only thing you can't, you, that would, is highly advisable that you stay away from are reverse mortgages because there are occupancy requirements when it comes to reverse mortgages and those lenders do actually do occupancy checks. So if they find out that occupant on a reverse mortgage has left the property, uh, they will foreclose on that property. We like fixed rate, anything we can do VA, we can do FHA, we can do really anything. Uh, we will do arms, except you have to know, cause arms, usually there's a cap most of the time on, on a, on a note, on an arm. And depending on what that cap is, if we know that we can still cash flow, if we've hit that cap, then we can take it on. 
otherwise, otherwise, no, we stay away from arms as well. Have you ever done a multifamily with it? Like a, a bigger, other than a single family? It's funny you ask. I was rushing to get home today because I just went and closed one uh, this morning. So yes. Congratulations. Yeah. What is it? Is it a, like two family, four family? Is it's it a, a two family flat. Yep. Right now it's a little bit underwater. The rents are under, uh, under where they need to be. They're under market. Um, but we've come to, we came to an agreement with a seller on it. <clears throat> we literally gave her 500 bucks. It's all she wanted. She just wanted out of this thing. Um, and the top unit is vacant, needs very little work. The bottom unit, there's a tenant in there that's been in there for 20 years that absolutely does not want to move. And she realizes that, um, you know, that her rents are probably going to go up and she's okay with it. And uh, yeah, it's a great deal. Super deal. Awesome. Love that. Yeah. So, uh, and that one would be one that you'll hold for right. eternity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Get in there. Uh, the upstairs needs maybe 2,500 bucks in work. Um, well, the lady below, she's, it's a, she's an elderly lady. So we don't want to, um, we don't want to get in there. We don't want to slam her with some kind of, she knows her rent's going up. We just want to keep that so that it's affordable for her. Um, and the way that we look at it is if we can have one of those units make that mortgage payment for us, the upper unit is just going to be cash flow every month. And this is a long-term deal, by the way. So well, are you willing to kind of go through the terms of that deal or maybe another deal like that people don't connect you with or something? So it's a little bit more anonymous, but can you take us through how you did that deal? What the terms look like? You closed today, but what are you left with? So actually, this is an arm as well. So this will be this will kind of cover all the bases. I, I don't mind going over this deal if, if uh, you know, if you guys don't mind. We'd love it. Uh, so this was a, uh, a motivated, a super motivated seller. She was an elderly lady. Her husband had passed away uh, 12 years ago and just the sweetest lady ever. I mean, she, she, she sang to me. Uh, we had great conversations and what she told me, she called me twice, actually. She called me off of, uh, off of one of my ads and she said, if you don't buy this house, I am walking away from this thing. I'm just walking away from it. And I said, okay, well, let's take a look at it. I went down and looked at it. They have maintained this house for, for elderly, elderly people, self-managing. They have maintained this house beautifully. I mean, it is in great shape. The tenant below has been there for 20 years, and even that one is in great shape. I'm talking some paint, maybe some carpet, and that one, if they left, would be ready to go in a week or two. So I looked at her loan. Um, there is about $14,000 in equity on this. The monthly payment on that loan is $588. She had both the top floor and the bottom floor rented for $400 a piece. So, uh, and she was also paying for sewer and water and grass. So she was actually coming out of pocket after all of those expenses for these people to live here. So I came in, I told her, and I kind of keyed in on the fact that she said, if you don't take this, I'm going to walk away. I, and I looked at the numbers on it and I was like, oh, this is going to be tough. You know, it's going to be tough to have to tell tenants because it's, it's under market rent for sure, probably by about six or 700 bucks a month. And so I said, before I agreed to do any of this, I would like to speak with your tenants and, um, 
turns out one of the tenants was leaving. So boom, that was like perfect. And then the lower tenant, I came in and spoke with her. And as soon as I walked in, she's like, she's like, it's great to meet you. I know I'm not paying enough in rent right now. And I'm okay with, with an increase in rent. I just don't want to move. I, I don't want to go anywhere. So, so um, anyway, our, like this is still, still relatively new too. So we don't have everything completely figured out. Uh, but the way that we're probably going to do it is we will take, so we, you know, we will take that lower unit and we're going to step her up over a few months instead of slamming her all at one time, we're going to step her up to, to just where it's going to pay that mortgage payment. Like I was just talking about. And then the upper unit, we're going to go in and put, uh, put a little bit of money into it. It's not going to take much at all. And we will rent that out at market rate. So, um, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to cash flow about 700 bucks a month on that. And we've got roughly after all of our money goes into it, we're probably looking at about only about 10 K in equity. But with that kind of cash flow, I am, I am totally okay with, <laughs> with that little bit of uh, that little bit of equity in it. And this is a good win for you because you didn't have to basically, uh, you know, still going back to the big benefit of the subject too here was you otherwise could have bought it from her for whatever she owed on it and just had to take out your own mortgage and stuff. But your, your win there is not having to take out your own mortgage, not having to put down a down payment, right? Not having to max out the number of loans you can have or whatever. Is that kind of the big win? Yeah. I mean, you know, as a, this is a really common problem with, with like with full-time investors is, you know, we don't, we don't have jobs. We don't have W2s. So it can be really, really difficult to get a loan, you know, a, a loan with at least some decent terms. And even though this one was an arm, it's sitting at like five point, I think it's 5.3875 right now, which is if I were to go out and get a commercial loan, that's a, I would probably pay a little bit higher than that. But then I would have to every, every couple of years, I'd have to, uh, that, that loan would be reexamined by a commercial lender right? and have the potential for that interest rate to increase or the terms of that loan changing in some way. This is a, this is pretty much set in stone. So uh, it is a huge benefit. I mean, the, the major benefit and the reason I like it so much is because if you, if you can get into a deal where the interest rate is 6% or less, you are, that is essentially free money. You know, they're making, you know, the lenders making very little off of that. Um, but it, for you, if you calculate in inflation and all those other costs that are kind of hidden away that nobody sees, this is, this is free money. So um, that's why I like it so much. Go over what the risks are for the seller. I'll, I'm going to tell you what the risks are not first, and then we'll talk about the risks. <laughs> so like, so all of those liens that we talked about, say if there's some liens, those are attached to the house, that's going to take the off of their, off of their plate totally. So you've now taken on that risk for the seller. The main risk is that you don't make those payments. That is, that is the risk. It's going to damage their, their credit, their it credit score. Come out of their name though, right? The, the, the property does, but the loan does not. So, the, the loan does that, but the property, but the liens are attached to the property. 
Well, the mortgage liens stay yeah. in the yeah, owner's seller's name. He means like mechanics liens and stuff. Right, okay. right. Yeah, so should have clarified that. Yeah, yeah. The the mortgage lien is going to stay in their name, and the all the other liens, uh, MSD, all that good stuff is going to stay with the property. So that's really the only risk that they have. And in this situation with the one I just closed on, she was willing to walk away from that anyway. So that is a no brainer for me that, Hey, I, you know, not only can I buy this property at a reasonable price, now I can, now I can stretch that out and I can cash flow that thing for a very long time. And so will you just continue making the mortgage payments until the mortgage is paid off? Or do you have other terms with the seller to say at, at X period of time or in uh, you'll take out a mortgage so that she's released and or he or she is released from the property in totality so that they can move on and use their credit for other things because I'm assuming right. as long as that mortgage stays in their name that's going to go against their ability to borrow money that is a uh, that is a very valid um, and forget everything else I said about the most asked question that is the, that is the biggest problem that we face when we, when we talk about that's the biggest seller objection, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is how am I going to be able to um, buy another house? And because this, this all boils down to debt to income ratio, that's all that it boils down to. You can own multiple houses, right? No problem. So this would, this would be, we're talking about a, a DTI issue. Um, the general rule, although there are lenders that will work around this, the general rule is that, you have a 12 month waiting period from the time that you sell a property subject to, to a, to a buyer and that property is cash flowing. So there's gotta be income coming off of that property. 12 months later, you are able to use 75% of that, 75% uh, of that income to apply towards the debt to income ratio, they, meaning it, it's basically just a wash. So if you can prove for the past 12 months that those payments have been, been made by somebody else, your new lender will wash 75% of those, that, those payments or that, that, uh, that debt from your future, you know, from your future DTI. They're, make, they're considering the mortgage payments that you're making as almost as if a tenant uh, on a rental property is paying them. So they're counting 75%. You got it. Yep. Yep. So they're raising their debt or their uh, income portion of their debt to income ratio by 75% of whatever the mortgage payment is. Right. You got it. Yep. Uh, otherwise it's really, uh, you know, it's just one of those conversations you got to have like, yeah, yes, this is a, this is absolutely a problem. And this is why the, uh, um, title. So if you stop making payments on a house and it goes into default, the mortgage mm -hmm. goes into default. Um, is it, is the deal written so that the seller, the original seller that holds the mortgage can get the property back? You can do that. Um, that would be a, a deed in lieu, a deed in lieu of foreclosure type of situation. Um, some people do write that into their agreements. Uh, I would prefer just to, because <laughs> that would be, that is a, that is just a tough, tough conversation to have, but um, sellers will actually ask for that as well. They'll say, you know, I can let you do this, but you know, what happens if you die 
and, or, or something like that. And there, there isn't, there's a mechanism. Um, there, there are mechanisms for switching that back over to the seller as a last, last resort type of situation. Part, and that's part of your trust, right? I guess they could be like, you got it. 100%, beneficiary yeah. if you die or whatever. Yeah. So uh, inside the, inside of the trust agreement, there would be, um, cause the, you gotta understand the trustee is the one who's responsible for um, the, the trustee is the one who's duly sworn to manage that trust. And so if you default as a beneficiary, we actually have, have it written in our trust agreement that it will switch back over. The beneficiary will then uh, become the, the previous owner, the seller. Yep. Not an ideal situation is not something that, I mean, I, if I ever thought that was going to happen, I would not even get into the deal to begin with. So, um, yeah, I mean, no one wants that, right? Obviously, because yeah. then you're losing the property and all you got was the cash flow for the time period that you had it. If there right. was cash flow, unless it was like a rehab or something. Right. But in theory, they could sort of benefit because you've paid their mortgage down for whatever period of time that was. Right. And then you got the property back. I guess their real risk there is if you were, if it was a big rehab and you did the gut part of the rehab and then stopped right. paying the mortgage or whatever. Right. And then they were left yeah. with the worse off property. Yeah. And there's, um, there are ways that I, I handle that too, the rehab stuff. So I personally, uh, kind of, I won't say that I got entirely out of rehabs, but after last year I was like, I gotta, you know, I gotta, I, this is not rehabs are not for me right now. So, uh, what I came up with there was a way to get the, a way to be able to bring another buyer into the picture for very, very minimal, uh, a very minimal buy-in. And so if, if you guys don't mind, I'll just, I'll structure that for you. And, sure. and it might be something that somebody could, could uh, you know, pick up on and use what I'll do. And in, instead of buying that property in a trust, I'll, I will buy it in an LLC because I know that's going to be a quick flip situation. I don't have to worry too much about uh, due on sale or anything like that. So um, what I'll do is I'll buy it in LLC. It pro title gets transferred into that LLC and I will sell a partnership in that LLC for, well, I'll give you an example. I did one in six, three, one, two, eight. Um, I know it's been a few months now, maybe four months ago. And what I did was I, put an LLC. I brought a, one of my buyers, one of my rehab buyers brought him in, made him a partner an 80% partner in that deal. So he now owns 80% of that LLC. The agreement is that he buys into it. He paid me like, I don't know, I think he paid me like 2,500 bucks to get into that deal, which is a pretty low entry, entry point. The agreement is that I give him 80% of the LLC. Um, he is going to bring his cash in and he is going to rehab that house using his money. I'm not putting anything else into it. Uh, and then upon the sale of that property, I own that other 20%, right? He owns 80% of it. I am paid 20% of that, of, of the net proceeds from that sale. So you've got a buyer who's got skin in the game. You've got, me, who's kind of, um, I brought the deal and I'm kind of or orchestrating everything. And the seller's happy. This seller happened to be down in Florida and uh, everything, everything worked out great. So 
I can see Connor's head spinning right now because that sounds like a Connor deal to me. <laughs> how much? Uh, how much equity was in there? Like, like if you don't mind sharing, like you don't about, have to... about forty grand. Wow! Right around there. Right around there. Yeah, this guy's uh, mother had gone into a um, assisted living facility, and uh, he was in the Navy down in Florida, and it was just a it was a tough situation for him. But we knew that if we had to close twice, you know, if we bought it and then we had to close again. Um, paying commissions on, on, you know, each, you know, each time, then it was going to be super expensive. So we were able to get in there and get it done and make it is, good. Is there a title company in St. Louis that you prefer for these like subject to deals? I do. Uh, it's a small mom and pop shop kind of. Uh, so I don't know if they would be. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> don't, this... don't worry about it. <laughs> Offline. Uh, yeah. But I, there are several, there are several. Right. Uh, we are very, very lucky in St. Louis. Um, because we have a, a ton of investor-friendly um, title companies. I'll tell you the first few that I did um, was with one of the big ones. Like you guys would 100% know who these are. And um, I, had, I had so many problems trying to close these. And that's really where I started learning how to do these, these closings myself and, and figuring this thing out and figuring out trusts and that's really where this all came about was dealing with title companies who just, they just weren't aware. You know, most of your conventional title companies are like, well, you've got to, you know, we're going to issue a title policy. We've got to pay off this loan. And uh, you know, my line of thinking with, with that is I don't, I don't know why a title company, that's just one less thing that they have to insure against. Mm -hmm. So just write that, just write that lien out of your policy that's one less thing you have to, you have to worry about covering. If something goes wrong later, why, why would you not write a title policy like that? It doesn't make any sense, but they don't, you know, a lot of them don't, they just don't know. What's your team look like? Is it just you? Or do you have like a, a, a huge team, a small team? Small, lean and mean. So it's mostly just me, my wife, she's sitting in the next, in the next room. Uh, we did have, um, I had uh, a small rehab crew when we were rehabbing and then I had an acquisitions manager. Um, after last year's debacle, I, I, I trimmed all that it was just me and the wife for a while. And uh, now we're kind of getting some traction again. We've got some, uh, some really good marketing going out. And um, so it's her now. she's actually taking her test to be an agent tomorrow. So we're going to have her, uh, have her become an agent. Um, what's the benefit of having her become an agent? It's, uh, it's those, um, just referrals. So I refer all of my deals that I can't do. I refer them out. I've got a, a specific, uh, agent that I refer out to. Okay. And, um, it would be, you know, it would kind of, instead of referring that out to somebody that, and letting them, you know, have that listing, you know, we, we understand the whole you know, so when you refer it out, you're meaning like it, it goes to market. You're looking, right. Someone's yep, yep. willing. Okay. Yep. Um, and then I have a question in regards to buying these properties subject to when you put them in an LLC, most mortgages don't allow LLCs. Meaning what? So like this oh, one. No, no, no. Right. Yeah. I get you. I mean, they'll allow trusts obviously, but a, a bank cannot go after the chances of them. You know, if you default on a loan, the whole reason they don't want it in an LLC is because they're tracking someone down to 
Ah. We're, we're talking about two different things here, though. You're you're talking about me going out and buying a property in an LLC, and that's not what you're I'm just, doing. Okay. I, yes, I am, yes, that's true. I, the, the loan is right. in the individual's name. Correct? Right. Okay. Right. And it's not uncommon for families to to put a property in an LLC. You know, you have interfamily transfers. You have people quit claiming uh, properties into LLCs all the time. So it's not like a big, huge red flag or anything like that. Um, but what you're what you're talking about is kind of you're still you're still still kind of thinking along the lines of a conventional loan. You know, and that's yeah. we're not assuming that loan, right? Um, I will volunteer some information if, uh, if we've got some time, um, Go for it. because yeah, uh, we, we've been on about an hour. We do need to wrap it up here in a minute or two, but I'd love to hear, you know, okay. it sounds like you're about to give us the good stuff. I just want to talk about insurance for a minute because this is going to be a huge question. And, um, there's, there's such a, uh, everybody's got all these different ideas about how insurance needs to be structured on these deals. And it is, very, very basic. You would be, you would laugh if I showed you these, how these policies are built. Are you uh, talking about it, homeowners insurance? Correct. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're going to be required. Sure that so anytime that title changes hands, you have to have a new insurance policy. You must get a new policy. You cannot amend the old policy. And besides that, any agent that's going to try and amend an old policy, they're just going to write a new policy anyway. So, right. um, the way we set those up, here are, the, here are the goods on insurance. The way we set those up is that lender that, you are, that you're now making payments to still believes that the previous, the previous owner of that property is you know, all on, on title. All that they really care about seeing is that that seller is, a, um, is listed as what was what we call additionally insured on a, on a, on a uh, insurance policy. So they have to see that previous, the, the lien holders name on that insurance policy. So in the case of an LLC, what we would do is we would have a new insurance policy built. The LLC is going to be the named insured. The LLC is the named insured. They're the main, uh, the main person or entity being covered listed below as additionally insured is going to be the seller or the, the lien holder on that, on that loan. And then you can also add additionally insured the person in your office who is going to be dealing with that. You know, maybe they're, maybe they have to talk to the insurance company or something like that. Um, and you can list as many additionally insured as you like. Um, so and like if you, a, you can do like a hard money lender, like a lender, if they're, if you're not using your own money on the rehab, essentially. That's a different situation. That's a, that's going to be a problem that, that you're going to come across it when you're buying these deals is you're not going to find many lenders that are going to lend to you. Um, if there is a, cause they're going to want to be in first position. First position. So right. that is a problem that you need to think about if you're going to be doing a rehab, because either you're going to have to use some private money there more than likely, or, you know, your own personal money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have a pool of, of private lenders that I use for those situations. That's exactly what we do. But that was like probably relationship based, long-term you showing them that you're good for it. 
It is because you can't No, there's going to be no other lender that's going to write you a second on a property where, uh, where you're not the primary lien holder. See what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. So, uh, but insurance, insurance, that's how you lay out, lay it out. It's very, very simple. Um, it's probably this would be the second biggest reason why you would ever have a note called due. Um, but again, if you lay it out, if you structure it correctly, no problems whatsoever. Awesome. So what yeah, else do we need to know that we didn't cover? There's a ton. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of creative deal structuring. I mean, you, there's, there's so much you can do with these things. Um, it's, it's really, it's really more about control. You know, um, if you can control it, there's, there's tons of ways to make money on it. Tons. And still, and you're still keeping the seller happy. You're still keeping, you're still doing right by the seller. You're, you know, um, this is why I love them so much. It, it allows me, I'm not a great salesman. I, I readily admit that. But what this does is it allows me to go talk to a seller and be totally truthful with them without having to try and, you know, close them on any, any certain thing. I can just be real and honest with them. And, um, you know, if, if they're motivated enough to do it, they're going to do it. And you'd be surprised how many people are open to this. It's really, uh, it's really surprising. So with that, like, so why would someone do a subject to versus an as is? Because uh, as is, they get to walk away. They, you can I mean, still do, yeah, you can still do subject to as name, is. It's free. It clears slate for them. Yeah. You can still do subject to as is. So <laughs> this is mind blowing. This is like awesome. Yeah. So, so I could still take over a property and, and buy it in as is condition. Are you talking about just a cash sale where it wipes them? Wipes yeah. Them? The as is, as is. well, I'm assuming most of your properties are as is, but um, it, like you're taking them over as they are in their present condition where um, as is, you know, where a, um, you know, just the cash buyer, you know, that are yeah. plentiful in that market. So, you know, come along and just buy it clean slate for the seller. They get to walk away. What would, uh, um, what would well, be the benefit of doing a subject to versus as is? Well, <clears throat> it all depends on what the number is. You no, know, it's all numbers. So it's all going to depend on what the numbers look like. If it, if the numbers don't warrant me going out and closing on a deal, because now I have to, you know, I have to close it twice. I have to pay twice the commissions and all that stuff. If the numbers don't warrant that, then you have to go. I mean, you have no choice, but to go the creative route. If the money, if the, and you know, cash offers are, if somebody's, you know, you have that opportunity cost. If you're, if you have to come off of a certain amount of money, now that's money that's, that's out of your pocket. It's not in place. So you're generally offering a super, you know, you're generally coming in very low. And so it might not, uh, it might not look as attractive to a seller where okay. if I can come in and I can say, I can give you, I can give you the asking price that I, I can give you what you're asking for this thing. I just need to be able to keep that loan in place uh, so that I don't have to close on this thing twice. You know um, it's all negotiable. Every bit of it is a hundred percent negotiable. It's just, a, it's just, it's just wrapping your mind around uh kind of getting out of that, that old school thought of, you know, this is a sale you go and you pay it off and you start, you know, that's, that's really what it all boils down to. That's awesome. 
Well, we I really appreciate your time. This has been a super awesome information. Here's here's where it also um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk too much about this, but like for agents, it, it's it's good for agents to know that this is av- an available option. This it is, is not, actually really good. Yeah, I mean I you've got. I didn't know much about it either. On your SLAR contract, you've got, uh, you know, we've all seen the seller carry back. That's not it's not what this is, mm-hmm. but it is another option outside of that. And if you, if you want to question the legality of this, uh, again, not an attorney, but I'm going to give you a reference. Everybody's seen an Alta statement. Everybody's seen a HUD-1 settlement statement. Yeah. If, if you go out and look at line 503 on the buyer side of an Alta, uh, I'm not sure if it's actually 503 on the Alta, but definitely on the HUD, um, line 503 is a line specifically for this type of deal. Okay. You'll also have line 203 on the seller side, which references subject to financing as well. Awesome. Well, where's a good place people can get a hold of you or ask questions if they want to? The best place to find me is in our Facebook group. And that is subject to investing mastery, subject to real estate investing mastery. And that's on Facebook. Just go out and look us up, uh, join the group. Happy to have you. We've got about, uh, I think right now, last count, we've got about 750 people in that group. Um, also, you can find me at Sub2Empire, Sub2Empire.com. Awesome. .com. Yep. That's awesome. Well, killer information. We really appreciate your time, Jeff. I, yeah, Jeff, that was fantastic. I feel like we could do a whole nother episode just asking you even more questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm game. There's a, there's a lot to know. Uh, there's a lot more to know about it. Um, I, I don't want to, I definitely don't want to scare people off because it does seem like there's a lot of moving parts in it, but uh, it really is. Um, it really is quite, once you grasp the concept and you, you, you know, you understand the immediate, uh, the immediate need, everything beyond that is totally flexible. It's very, you know, once you own something, it's just like, it's just like owning any other property. Once you own it, you can do anything that you want with it. So works out. I love it. Man, thank you so much. You thank it. you very much, Jeff. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Connor, for being our guest today also. And uh, we look forward to seeing everyone next time. Anyone watching, we love to hear from you. Podcast at HermanLondon.com. Thanks, guys. Bye, All right, thank you. Bye, Thanks, everyone. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.